0: Do you believe that God wants you healthy? Then join me, Circe Blue and Gigi Carter on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast, where we help you realize the relationship between your health and your purpose. We share how eating like Daniel can revolutionize your life. Through discussions and interviews, we challenge you to discover the powerful connection between plant-based nutrition, your body, and your faith. It's time. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Healthy For My Purpose. This is episode number five. I hope everyone is doing well. We have an awesome podcast for you today. Um, but before we jump in to the podcast, I wanted to just kind of remind you that the new year is coming up 2022. And we are having our next Prayer for Your Health four-day challenge. So if you haven't signed up for that, I will... Say that you want to don't you don't want to miss this uh, four day challenge, it is a great way to start the year to kind of nudge you in the right direction um and pretty much what the four day prayer for your health challenge is it's a mini daniel fast so for those of you who've ever heard of it and it's been like well i don't know if I could do the thirty days. this is like a power packed four days, and the first day we actually pray for a God-centered self-image. The second day we pray to break our addiction to food. The third day we pray for breaking generational patterns of poor health and the fourth day, we pray for the courage to take action. Um, and what comes with this, guys, is that we go live every single night. Um, so we really flesh things out. We answer your questions. We really go into prayer in these areas. We also pop on in the morning and do a quick devotional just to kind of kickstart you. Um, and what you actually get is that you're going to get a guide. Um, and in this guide, it's going to have everything that you need in terms of what you can eat, what you can't eat. a journal, devotional, so that you can, in your quiet time, you kind of know have some guidelines in terms of meditation and prayer. You're also going to get recipes for each day. So if you're wondering, oh, what am I going to make? We're going to have recipes as well that are going to already be printed out. But again, there is also DanielsPlate.com. If you're someone that's looking for whole food plant-based recipes without the oil, the sugar, the processed, DanielsPlate.com is filled. But in that guide, you will actually get specific ones for day to day. Um, and so all of that's wrapped up and you're going to get nutritional nuggets and emails every day. So it's going to be a real power packed four days to really start the year off where you can level up with your health. Now there will be an option for you to continue going. That would be the hope. But just as a starter, this is a great way to kind of nudge you in the right direction to get started for 2022. So go ahead, guys. Don't miss this one. Um, it's going to be a great experience. If you're someone that's already taken the four-day prayer for your health, a jump in again for another time. Um, so there. if you go to the link in the show notes, you can get directly to the link to sign up. Or you can go to to com and click on 4-Day Challenge and you can sign up that way as well. Also, if you are not a part of the Daniel Fast Bridge to Healthy Living Facebook group, you need to get in there today. Um, We have some great things coming up for the holidays. We just did... um, a Thanksgiving live in that group where we talked about just how to cope with the holidays and dealing with eating um, and all of that stuff. So if you haven't, go ahead and sign up for that. You could also get that through the same website or you could also get that through the show links. So I think that's all the updates. Last but not least, please, 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 if you are getting anything from this podcast, if you are enjoying it, please go to iTunes. It's free. All you have to do is press subscribe and then that way you'll be notified um when the new episodes come out and also if you can go ahead and just when you get into iTunes just leave a, a review because what happens is when you leave a review it actually helps us to reach more people because it helps us to expand our reach. So we would love your support, your reviews, your likes, your subscription um, and like I said it's free. It's just a matter of pressing a button and just writing a review. So today's episode, we'll go ahead and jump right in. Is an amazing episode. We are actually um, having a conversation with Dr. Kim Williams. Uh, Dr. Kim Williams is an American cardiologist. He's a fellow of the American College of Cardiology, and he actually served as its president from two thousand fifteen to two thousand sixteen. Um, and right now, he's currently a trustee of the organization. But Kim is going. Dr. Kim Williams is going to be talking all about high blood pressure. So if you know someone or if you personally are dealing with high blood pressure, you want to listen to this episode. He really gets into the mechanics of high blood pressure. He gets into um, ways and to manage it, to prevent it, and even in many cases, to reverse your high blood pressure. Um, so he really gets into everything along those lines. He talks a bit about his own experience with dealing with high blood pressure and why that convinced him that high blood pressure is less about genetics and more about lifestyle. So without further ado... Let me welcome you to Dr. Kim Williams.
1: Dr. Williams, I first learned of you back in 2014 when um, you were first named the first vegan and first Black president of the American College of Cardiology, a 49,000 member organization. Um, I remembered because I had just adopted a vegan diet and I was just super like hyper excited about you coming on board um, and taking on that role, that very important role in the community.
2: Well, thank you and thank you for the dietary change. You know, they, they laugh, they meaning the non-vegan people, they sort of laugh at us and um, talking about how much evangelism we do. Um, so you are affecting the people around you in a positive way. So thanks for that.
1: Oh, I appreciate you saying that. So um, today I really wanna dive into the topic of high blood pressure or hypertension. Um, hypertension has been described as a silent killer. Can you just describe or define what is hypertension and then how does lifestyle contribute to it?
2: So let's talk about uh, what what is a high blood pressure or hypertension. First of all there's two different systems. There's pulmonary hypertension which hopefully no one will ever see. Yeah we see it all the time unfortunately uh, when the valves go bad, when the lungs are bad, it gets scarred over, The pressures inside the lungs and that can really hurt the heart and it can make for a very short life expectancy and there are newer fancier drugs that can try to keep people alive Um, but fortunately uh, when someone hears you know the word hypertension you kind of have to know is it the body or the systemic or is it the lungs the pulmonary Um, now the systemic hypertension is, is what most people are talking about when they say high blood pressure And that really is a a combination of how much your arteries are squeezing, how hard your heart is pumping, and how much volume you have in your system. And we have some conditions that can mess up all of those, (laughs) such as uh, eating a a high sodium uh, meal uh, can actually raise your blood pressure. And we use that at times to the benefit of a patient and, you know you give them a liter of saline and the blood pressure comes up right well we also um unfortunately have a lot of hormonal effects such as the adrenaline levels that happen when someone is supposed to be under a flight or fight uh scenario but instead they're living under stressful conditions all the time people who are overweight people who have um, sleep apnea can have an elevation in their um their adrenaline levels but also their cortisol levels. And those um, elevations will squeeze on blood vessels, uh, make you absorb fluid fluid and hold on to it and raise the blood pressure.
1: So um, does genetics play a role in blood pressure or hypertension?
2: It does, um, in that every human has 23, uh, 23 times two, four, 46 chromosomes, uh, we're all human. I just wanted to say homo sapiens. And there are, there are no people who will not be hypertensive if you give them the, the, uh, the right circumstance. Now, when people think that African Americans inherited high blood pressure, there may be a hair of truth to it if you go back and you imagine, just imagine, slave ships coming from west africa to the new world and they were horrific conditions and there wasn't a lot of water and there was a lot of death who was able to survive that people who were naturally able to conserve sodium okay made it more likely that they would survive that trip right and so if the, if you then uh, give people unlimited amounts of sodium and they're already genetically pre-programmed uh, from their ancestry to conserve sodium, perhaps that can create the scenario of more of a genetic hypertension. But, you know, I've been doing, as you mentioned, the plant-based nutrition, been doing it for a long time, not just personally, but uh, well, I might as well say personally. So being that under stress, uh, as we like to say, would have been my freshman year of medical school. Yeah, I was at University of Chicago, but in college, let's be honest, I was a tennis player. And I would study and I got good grades, but I was a tennis player and so i'm running around playing tournaments studying in between no well medical school that's for real (laughs) okay all of a sudden it is real and you're you're studying like crazy trying to you know keep up and stay ahead uh the the reading material that you can't get around you can't fake your way through it that's so and so all of a sudden my blood pressure was 140 over 90 like everybody else in my family now Um, I, of course, I had a physiology book and I read it and it said sodium, you decrease the sodium in your diet and your blood pressure will go down. I did that blood pressure went down to 128. Okay, fast forward 20 years, you know, upper 40s and um, I went completely plant-based. My blood pressure went to 104. Mm -hmm. So regardless of my genetics, it's nutrition that we should be paying attention to. And so we have that in our guidelines. Um, I was fortunate to be on the ACC AHA 2017 guideline writing group, and we really took it on the chin of people criticizing us, saying we were in the pocket of industry because we changed the definition of high blood pressure down to 130 um, and, uh, and 120, above 120 is elevated and that we should be treating people to 130 and they said that was just absolutely terrible and we're trying to you know give all these drugs. That means they didn't read the document. We weren't talking about drugs. We were talking about dynamic exercise, isometric resistance exercise, um, absolutely decreasing the sodium to less than 1,500 milligrams a day, more potassium in the diet. That's a way of saying a a vegetarian diet unless you get a salt substitute and pour it all over your food, getting that to 3,500 milligrams a day, losing weight, cutting down the alcohol, and doing mostly plant-based nutrition. And if you put all those together, you actually get a a cumulative effect on your blood pressure of 30 to 40 millimeters uh, of mercury, which means that most people, if they do the lifestyle correctly, most people should not have to go on medications.
1: So there was a study published in 2018 that showed that um, 75% or three out of four black adults will develop hypertension by the age of 55 compared to 55% of white men and 40% of white women. Why are, the, why are there higher rates of hypertension among blacks compared to other racial groups?
2: You know, African-Americans do not have uh, overall a higher amount of drinking, but we have a fair number of heavy drinkers, okay? And the heavy drinking does contribute to this. But the amount of sodium, saturated fat, high cholesterol um, in the diet Uh, particularly uh, fried foods, these are actually foods that increase the blood pressure, and that's what we eat. Now, why do we eat such a poor diet? That goes back to slavery as well. And so you're eating so-called low on the hog. And even though, you know, there was 1863, there was a big war, (laughs) and there was a lot of uh, sort of freedom in a way. Uh, Obviously, we're seeing that the freedom is not complete. Uh, not in, by any stretch of the imagination, but we can choose what we eat. We can make those choices as opposed to back before 1863, we had a really hard time uh, choosing what to eat. It was starve, not live very long. And you know, when you're talking about eating low on the hog and you're only gonna live 50 years, it's not a big deal. But now we're talking about longevity. That's what we're lacking in the African American community. And we've improved um, along with medical care, but we haven't done, you know, we haven't kept up with medical care ourselves in terms of changing how we eat and whether or not we're going to have that, you know, mo- most of us grow up exercising as African-Americans, but really into sports. And then uh, adult uh, time, it starts to slow down unless you're in a uh, the kind of um, physical labor job and, you know, your mail carrier and you're walking seven miles a day. Most of us do not do that. And so the chair being the new cigarette, we end up with a, f- a fair amount of, Or risk factors um, because of our lifestyle, so it's not 100% nutrition, but a lot of it is.
1: Okay, so diet, exercise. I heard you mentioned stress earlier as well. Mm -hmm. Does sleep play a role in this as well?
2: Sleep really does, and sleep is impaired uh, sometimes by stress, sometimes by our lifestyle, but sleep can also be impaired by sleep apnea. And we see a lot of people who have uncontrolled and or so-called resistant hypertension because they're so overweight that they have airway compression uh, at night when the muscles relax and they're laying down. And without getting that detected with a sleep study, uh, getting something that's uh, new around the country, but we do a fair number of them at Rush, uh, have a so-called hypoglossal nerve stimulator, can actually push your tongue forward, get it out of the back of your throat so you're not choking on it. And uh, if if you can stop yourself from stopping breathing, um, that really does lower the blood pressure. Okay.
1: So, there have been countless studies, even books written around uh, racial disparities in our healthcare system. What disparities have you personally witnessed or experienced um, in your line of work?
2: So, they're all, they're everywhere. Um, and the good news is, is that since, the, the, since Margaret Heckler, in the 1980s um, who was secretary of of health and human services tried to get uh, a report out about unequal treatment at least people have been talking about it and now they're talking about it even more particularly with all that's going on um, uh, with you know police brutality and the like Um, they're talking about all aspects of uh, racial discrimination and i'm hoping that they'll talk specifically about education because that's where we're lacking uh the most that is uh, a system that takes the poorer people and because their tax base, base is poorer, gives them poorer functioning schools, is completely regressive. All it's going to do is perpetuate poorness and it doesn't help the country. And so, you know, I always like to say when I'm talking to an audience of non-minorities, that minority health care is the responsibility from everyone uh, for everyone in the United States because it's one country no matter how we behave, uh, on Sunday mornings or during demonstrations, it's, it's one country. And we have laws, like Imtala. If people are shocked when they hear about Imtala; they just assume it. So Mtala is the Emergency Medical Labor and Treatment Act. If you are a pregnant woman and you go to a hospital, they can't do a wallet biopsy. They have to deliver your baby. That's just the law. And the same thing for any medical emergency. So when an African-American has no access to healthcare, and no no way of paying for out of pocket um, and they don't have insurance, which shouldn't happen anymore after Obamacare, but I know that's being unraveled currently. If you don't have access to adequate health care, or the health care is someone who doesn't follow guidelines because it's a, a lower functioning physician, this is a problem, okay? And you will find that people don't know what the newest guidelines are in terms of medication management. They're giving the wrong drugs. Uh, The example from today's clinic is someone giving a short acting drug to an obese, morbidly obese African-American woman, even though we know that there's this thing called nocturnal hypertension, everyone's blood pressure is supposed to go down at night. Okay. There are populations that they don't go down. Asians, particularly if they're smokers, obese people, and African-Americans tend not to have the blood pressure go down at night. Well, suppose you give a a drug without looking up the half-life of the drug. It may be commonly used, but it shouldn't be. If it has a two-hour half-life, and there's another cousin of it with a similar name that has a 24-hour half-life. So those are the kinds of things, there are knowledge gaps, some of them, and yeah, there are racial biases, um, and there's unfamiliarity. And then there's mistrust uh, of uh, certain physicians based on things that have happened in the past. You roll all that up together, and you have a, a situation of disaster. Now, you know we've I've always tried to focus on the health of the African American community because I boldly stated when I was uh, ACC incoming president that I wasn't going to retire until heart disease was the number two killer, the number one killer of Americans since 1918, since the Spanish flu epidemic. Well. If I could just get the African-American community to fix the diet, that would take care of it. That we would be number two. We wouldn't have that 21% excess. That's what's really hurting the healthcare system in the United States. It's us and our cardiovascular behavior. So exercise, diet, plant-based nutrition, lose the weight. And guess what? Guess what COVID-19 does? Why is it that African-Americans have more more COVID-related illnesses and more severity of illness? It's the obesity because uh, the, the coronavirus loves to replicate inside adipose cells. And those fat cells, they just burst, <laughs> unfortunately. With virus, you get more viral load. You infect your family more than, than a, a thin person would be. Uh, so you're spreading it, you're getting sicker, uh, and the complications are very severe. And so, you know, for a while it was that, yeah, everyone who was dying was obese. Now, it's not hundred percent. There are people who are not obese who are dying. But the odds ratio of getting really, really sick uh, has been published from multiple places, extremely high if you're obese. So, the same kinds of things that we've been talking about in, in healthcare and prevention and nutrition for the African-American community are the exact same things that are taking us out with COVID. It's very remarkable.
1: Wow. Okay, so eat a whole food plant based diet or a largely whole food plant based diet. Exercise, what, 30 minutes a day, 60 minutes?
2: Uh, so I was going to say, you say largely, I was going to say exclusively. Okay, uh, well, just, let's uh, say it. <laughs>
1: let's say it. I, I you know, I. I
2: have room for error. No, I, no. <laughs> I, I don't have data against, uh, you know, the Okinawan people who live to be 100 eating three, gra- three ounces of fish once a month. I don't have data against that, other than the fish doesn't like it, it's dead as a doornail. Um, but but, um, but if, you could, if you could make it exclusive, you would have a better shot at reversing the diseases. And that's what we've done in our African American church project, go in five weeks of completely vegan food. Now, could we have, did they slip up here and there? Yeah, we had 93% compliance. So I have data of up to 93% that all the parameters that we follow for cardiovascular health get better. Um, yeah. So that that really is what we should be doing, as is, is yeah. whole food plant-based as we possibly can.
1: I am with you 100%. I will say that I have noticed with some of my clients, when I, when I give them that little out, then they're more inclined to start. And then like once that. they start, they're less afraid to not eat meat, and then they're just like, okay, I can do this. So it's... Right. Uh,
2: <laughs> well, you know it's interesting that you say that uh, what what you're really emphasizing is something that we all should be doing when we're doing any kind of life counseling or medical care, and that is find out the where the patient is and try to move them along. I but I do, and I'm one of them. you know, I was you know, you know those they had the very famous cookies that became when they got rid of the lard, they became vegan. and I just love those cookies. and then you get a publication that says that increasing the sugar content has a curvilinear increase in mortality. And then you get another one that says that refined carbohydrates, um, the, those sweets, the, those kinds of things, they're actually worse than eating an animal-laden diet. And so you know what I do? 100%, I turn it off. Well, that's because I'm African-American, a male, uh, over 60, I know the disease will get me. And so I have that motivation by watching people go through heart disease. So it's easy for me to turn it off. And, and I, there are people like me but most of the people, they're exactly what you say. You have to you gradually bring them to it. You have to work with them uh, because not everybody can turn it off cold turkey without the turkey.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to put it. So exercise, what's your, what's your recommendation on physical activity?
2: Yes. Okay. So we do have recommendations uh, uh, to try to get uh, 150 minutes in. Um, don't tell my patients that because I always tell them 300. Okay, Um, so 150 is in our prevention guidelines. When I'm treating a disease, I want 45 minutes a day at least, okay, and that would be 300. And so, um, you know, you really can't, but I don't want to minimize any kind of activity. People who are doing occupational um, type of exercise, that does count. I like it better if you're doing high intensity stuff, so you should be sweating up. That's not something you generally do at work, um, but sometimes you can. but not being in a chair, just being active, is actually better than not being active. So you know, so yes, we make our recommendations, but any activity you know, is sort of cumulative, and so um, try try doing uh, the three hundred if you're trying to treat obesity, diabetes, hypertension, erectile dysfunction, peripheral artery disease, um, heart attack, stroke, death. All of those things can actually improve dramatically with um, with more consistent exercise particularly if you mix in some high
1: intensity exercise absolutely well dr williams thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you
2: well thank you it's really a pleasure to be here
0: Thank you for joining us on the Healthy for My Purpose podcast. We hope you enjoyed the community and are walking away empowered and encouraged to live your healthiest life for your God-ordained purpose. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram to enjoy fellowship with like-minded women. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. Until we meet again, keep honoring your body for your purpose.